Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello everyone and a warm welcome back to the Sci-Fi Feminist Podcast. I hope that you have had a good week that passed. Today I will be doing a kind of a follow-up on the episode on Michael Burnham and I will be talking about Emperor Giorgio, Philippa Giorgio, and intersectionality in Star Trek Discovery. As you know, she is one of my favorite characters. And today's episode, I might be repeating a few things from episode one, but it is definitely a new vantage point that I'll be providing on Emperor Giorgio. So if you like the character as much as I do, I hope that you really enjoy today's episode on the character. Um, movie recommendation segment. <laughs> I introduced this uh, two or three episodes ago, so I will keep it up. My movie recommendation for today, since we are talking about Emperor Giorgio, I highly recommend Tai Chi Master, which features Jet Li and Michelle Yeoh. It's a kung fu movie, but it is awesome. You can see the wires <laughs> when they jump from roofs and things, and um, it's a terribly dubbed <laughs> and it's got all those really nice authentic uh, Hong Kong movie attributes but um, it's a fun movie it carries a nice message and if you like Kung Fu and if you like Jet Li and if you like Michelle Yeoh that is totally the movie for you I think so yes then let me get into today's episode on Emperor Giorgio and intersectionality in Star Trek Discovery. today's episode I'm not going to recap intersectionality because I have talked about it quite extensively in the episode on Michael Burnham so I recommend listening to that episode which will give you a solid foundation for today's episode but the character of Mirror Giorgio or Emperor Giorgio in Star Trek Discovery her transformation over seasons one to three I would argue present a critique of post-feminist femininity and she is exemplary of a character who addresses issues raised by intersectional critique. Now there is a theorist, her name is Judith Rocher. She says in her paper, the paper is called Border Crossing and Imperialist Femininity in Star Trek Discovery. Um, she says that Emperor Giorgio presents an imperial version of femininity and a post-feminist model of femininity, which is very exclusionary, which, which is obviously very problematic, um, all of those types of things, which I will briefly recap today. Um, but then I argue that Emperor Giorgio actually gives us a more subtle embodiment of the intersections of age, race, class, sexuality, and gender and that this intersectionality is very interestingly fostered by the emphasis on her as a mother so as you know in star trek discovery season three in the episode terra firma we see the conclusion of emperor Giorgio's journey and she basically um changes from this that's why i said space hitler <laughs> to this holy mother figure um she changes from this imperialist fascist character and we see that actually 
her time in the Prime universe transformed her into a character that is much more um, considerate, that is kinder, that has learned the ideals of the Federation and seen its values, a character that is not such a racist, um, all of those bad things that she embodied before. Okay, the fact that she's also played by an actress of Asian descent, it's uh, the Asian-American actress Michelle Yeoh, um, and the fact that she's also slightly older and she's shown to be openly bisexual, all of these things facilitate the possibility for presenting a heroine that is like Michael Burnham, possibly transcends racial and sexual stereotypes. So yes, then let me get into the discussion. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about the mirror universe and women. If you're familiar with Star Trek canon, which I'm sure you are, if you are listening to this podcast and to this episode, the mirror universe is an alternate or parallel reality. And it was first introduced in Star Trek, the original series in the episode Mirror Mirror. Basically, the mirror universe is the exact opposite of the prime universe and very often we will see that Prime Universe then encounter their evil doppelgangers in the Mirror Universe. So this particular parallel reality has a very special relationship with the Prime Universe, which is that it's the exact opposite of it. So that's why we find characters that are kind of the exact opposite of what they are in the Prime Universe. For example, Captain Janeway's Mirror counterpart, she's a uh, pirate queen of the Delta Quadrant. And um, then, of course, Captain Philippa Giorgio's counterpart in the Mirror Universe is the emperor of the Terran Empire, the Terran Emperor Giorgio. So what is interesting about the Mirror Universe is that in Star Trek Discovery, as well as in previous Star Trek series, the mirror universe actually provides a potentially emancipatory space for women. For example, instead of being merely captain's women, as many women in older Star Trek series are, female characters from the mirror universe, such as Terran Emperor Hoshi Sato from Star Trek Enterprise and Bajoran Alliance Intendant Kiran Neris from Deep Space Nine, as well as Mirror Burnham, they're all female rulers instead of being uh, women that are merely there to serve the captains. However, as Judith Rocher explains, in the Mirror Universe, the empowerment of women depends on their integration into totalitarian militaristic structures that rely on openly imperialist and racist ideologies, wherein they are willing to do whatever is necessary to gain power as is seen in the example of Mirror Burnham and the artists. So um, just to briefly <laughs> uh, explain what I mean there, there's one scene in Terra Firma, the, the episode where we see the Emperor change, where she talks to Mirror Burnham and Mirror Burnham, she says something like, you know, what did you do in that planet or you know, what did you, did you collect the art? Um, sorry, I actually can't remember the exact conversation that they're having. But then Mirror Burnham says, yeah, I went there and I cut off the artist's hands. 
So, and she, I think she also takes out their eyes. And then she says, yeah, because then if I do that, then the value of their art will rise. And then this contributes to the empire's wealth. So she's very uh, brutal and it's too much, actually. So um, we see that her empowerment, Mirror Burnham's empowerment, and also the emperor's empowerment previously in the Terran Empire, it really depends on how violent they are. <laughs> they they use violence as their empowerment. And this is the case for uh, many post-feminist supergirls too. So post-feminist supergirls, we're talking here about Laura Croft, the Charlie's Angels, uh, Blood Rain from that video game, all of these um, women or female action heroes that especially started appearing in the late 90s and early 2000s, their empowerment is kind of ambiguous because it's built on violence and the exclusion of anything that is deemed other than them. So then Emperor Giorgio, as a female ruler in the Mirror Universe, she initially follows in this legacy. And similar to Kira Neris and Hoshi Sato, she also uses sex manipulation and violence to secure her position of authority in both the Mirror and the Prime Universes. So following the tradition of depicting Mirror in the Universe as hypersexualized versions of their Prime Universe counterparts, uh, that is... Judith Rocher's uh, statement. Emperor Giorgio also dresses in dominatrix style outfits, although her outfits are not as sexualized <laughs> as that of like Hoshi Sato or Kira Neris. Um, her outfits do not generally draw attention to her breasts or shapely wa waist and hips, uh, first of all. And then secondly, um, Michelle Yeoh is <laughs> quite athletic and she has a small figure. So, um, Definitely, the emperor is uh, kind of, you know, she's she's definitely sexy. Um, she's not overly sexualized, but I think that has more to do with the actress that plays it, her age, um, other factors too. But yeah, anyway, um, I'll get back to the significance of this. So first of all, Emperor Giorgio's outfits, in contrast to other women from the Mirror Universe who wear low halter crop tops and mini skirts, <laughs> such as Mirror Uhura and Empress Hoshisato, um, Emperor Giorgio's outfits also rarely reveal any parts of her skin. So one of my favorite outfits of her is that leather leather suit, <laughs> leather and boots that she wears in, um, which episode was it? I'm not sure, but it's her section 31 outfit. She wears this leather and boots and she has this black cape, which is like totally awesome. So <laughs> she definitely looks sexy, but not really sexualized as much as we see Mira Uhura and Hoshi Sato. All right. Um, then in terms of emphasizing her sexuality, we see that her sexuality is only emphasized once in the three episode, three seasons of Star Trek Discovery, which is, of course, the brothel scene in the episode, Will You Take My Hand? Basically, what happens in this episode, we see that she's lying in bed with two Orion slaves, and she's basically wearing underwear and a corset. 
and she's with a male and female prostitute, a Rhine prostitute. So while discussing payment for their services rendered, <laughs> you know what I mean? Giorgio kicks the male Orion unconscious and she chokes the female at gunpoint for information. So in terms of her sexuality and attire, we see definitely a post-feminist post vision of female agency, which kind of combines sexualization and violence and presents it as women's empowerment, like we see with the older version of Laura Croft and all those other characters I mentioned earlier. But in the same vein, um, it is less explicit than that of the characters such as Laura Croft, for example. So we see that she's really um, kind of in between <laughs> sexualization and desexualization. And she's in between you know, this post-feminist version of femininity and what is possibly maybe a newer version of femininity that is not so sexualized. So I think maybe this this has to do with her status as a mirror character that came over to the Prime Universe too. She's quite ambiguous. <laughs> we don't really know where she's situated. She seems to me to to show kind of the shift from post-feminism to what we now call fourth-wave feminism. All right, so continuing the discussion, throughout seasons one and two of Star Trek Discovery, glimpses of Emperor Giorgio are shown, and in some episodes, she is more central to the narrative than in others. So we then see in season three, in the two-part episode, Terra Firma, Emperor Giorgio's final character arc, and then her story is also concluded. And then, as I mentioned, it is in this episode that Giorgio's subtle transformation from what is a post-feminist to a more contemporary fourth-wave feminist heroine is brought to light. And then she's also ultimately redeemed through motherhood, which is very interesting. So in Terra Firma, as you know, a dying Emperor Georgia returns to the Mirror Universe and she's given the opportunity to relive the betrayal of her adopted daughter, Mirror Michael Burnham. At the climax of part one of Terra Firma, Georgia decides not to execute her daughter as she did, you know, in the original timeline, but she rather attempts to regain Burnham's loyalty and to save her life. And this is what Mirror Burnham sees as confirmation that the Emperor has become weak and is therefore unfit to rule. In a few touching scenes throughout part two, Giorgio is shown to appeal to Mary Burnham as a mother, visiting her in her holding cell while recalling traumatic events from Burnham's childhood, placing a globe of fireflies next to Burnham to remind her of all they have overcome together, and keeping a watchful eye on Burnham from the Emperor's private quarters, hoping that her daughter would return to her. Of course, this is a stark contrast to the Giorgio that we've seen throughout seasons one and two of Discovery that is very hesitant to express her maternal care for prime Michael Burnham. For example, um, throughout seasons one and two, she keeps a very cold distance from Burnham, but she clearly loves her. Um, her eagerness to find Burnham instead of paying attention to the immediate issue of repairing the discovery when it crash lands in the future in episode two of season three is a good example. So she sets out against direct orders to locate Burnham, but then when they actually find Burnham and everyone is hugging her and telling her how happy they are that she's back, um, 
Emperor Georgia just kind of stands on the outskirts and she doesn't personally greet her when Burnham arrives safely on the ship. So, um, yeah, this, uh, what we see in Terra Firma is really a, a big contrast. You know, her display of emotion, all of those types of things, than what we see in seasons one and two of Discovery. And actually, upon re-watching it, um, I realized that very subtly, and I think it's because of good acting by Michelle Yeoh, Emperor Georgia, although she comes across as very harsh and scary most of the time, we do see glimpses of this uh, coming through, but it's only in Terra Firma where she really openly displays who it is that she's become, which is basically the opposite of the fascist, uh, scary, violent emperor of the Terran Empire. Right, in other scenes from Terra Firma, we further witness how the Emperor's condescending view of alien others has been significantly altered during her time in the Prime Universe. Now, in the episode The Wolf Inside, it is revealed that the Terrans actually slaughter and eat the Kalpians, <laughs> which are a, a sentient alien race, so, you know, it's really bad, <laughs> while also using them as personal servants and slaves, which is, of course, a stark contrast to the Prime Universe, where a Kalpian named Saru is the first officer and later captain of the USS Discovery. So upon returning to the Mirror Universe, the Emperor not only takes Kelpian meat off the menu, but she also saves Mirror Saru by revealing to him that what the Kelpians call the Vaharai is not the end of life as they believe it, but simply another stage of their evolution, which is of course what she learned in the Prime Universe um, when we see uh, Mer uh, Prime Saru going through the Vaharai and then uh, evolving into you know, much more deadly and confident uh, Kalpian. Um, so in this specific scene, then, we see that Marisaru fittingly tells the Emperor, following this conversation about the Vaharai, that you are not Terran, which might be translated to saying, you know, in a broader or more philosophical sense, that Emperor Giorgio no longer follows the legacy of other post-feminist female rulers from the Mir universe, such as Hoshi Sato and Kira Neris, but that she has become something entirely different in her time in the Prime Universe. Whereas the Emperor previously subjugated the Kalpians based on race and class, she now acknowledges the predicament that this intersection has placed them in and she attempts to atone for her past actions by helping mirror Saru. So in this scene, one also then sees how the boundaries between royalty and the lower class are erased as the royal emperor Georgia recognizes her slave as her equal. Now, I have not touched on intersectionality too much, but this is one point where we see the exclusionary premises on which her empowerment is based, you know, deeming anything that is other as bad and as lower than her to a character that um, perpetuates a much more nuanced understanding of intersectionality a character that acknowledges that actually race and class play a role in the constitution of identities and a character that 
recognizes her own position within this hierarchy and then attempts to destroy those lines that separate one thing from another and that employs a more intersectional approach. Now, these are only two brief examples of Emperor Georgia's transformation and definitely her evolution as a character deserves a far more in-depth analysis. But this does reveal, on the surface at least, two qualities that allow Giorgio to move beyond the very limited post-feminist framework of women's emancipation. First, the excessive violence and xenophobia that characterizes Giorgio's version of empowerment is replaced by an acknowledgement of alien others and a willingness to engage with them on a deeper level, as well as a sincere attempt to resolve conflict without violence. And then second, Giorgio's dominatrix style attire remains unaltered in terra firma, but in an elaborate scene showing the christening of the ISS Charon, uh, I really love that scene where Stamets give this whole speech (laughs) on the Charon and the emperor and they do this play for her. She's actually shown wearing a halo that definitely visually harks back at images of the Virgin Mother in Christian iconography. So this image um, is the image on the cover of this week's episode. So you can see it there. Uh, I love the halo and what they did with her outfit. I thought it was just so elaborate and awesome. (laughs) But the scenes described here, uh, which display a shift in Giorgio's methodology. So for example, she does not use her sexuality, but rather her status as a mother to ultimately rule her empire in combination with these subtle additions to her outfit and corresponding saintly iconographical elements, indicates an emphasis on her as a mother. So in these ways, in terra firma, there's far more emphasis on Giorgio's traditionally feminine qualities, such as motherhood, compassion, sensitivity, and even vulnerability. And because she chooses to act on these instead of adopting a more masculine disposition, she's given a second chance at life by the guardian of forever at the end of the episode. Now, interestingly, in terra firma, the viewer is also reminded of the emperor's honorary title, which is spoken only once after her formal introduction in season one's episode, Vaulting Ambition. So let me repeat her title. Um, I actually, I liked this so much that I made a t-shirt that uh, has the Emperor Giorgio's title on it. So uh, if you want a, t- a t-shirt with this title on it, then um, it's available on uh, Teespring and Redbubble, I think, or only Teespring. Uh, yeah, there's a t-shirt. <laughs> it's uh, You can follow the, the link on my bio on Instagram. Um, But anyway, her title, which is Her Most Imperial Majesty, Mother of the Fatherland, Overlord of Vulcan, Dominus of Kronos, Regina Andor, Philippa Giorgio Augustus Iopponus Centarius. (laughs) Okay, that's such a mouthful. Um, But this title contains both masculine and feminine pronouns. Now, as I've shown also about uh, Michael Burnham, and you can listen to that episode, and many other contemporary heroines. Actually, um, what we see for in terms of contemporary heroism, female heroism, these female heroes assimilate both traditional masculinity and femininity in terms of their dispositions, and 
Through it become heroines that transcend narrow and essentialist conceptions of women. So Georgia's femininity in terms of her character and not her appearance is simply only explored towards the very end of her narrative. But, you know, it is subtly alluded to throughout seasons one to three. Right, so to conclude this discussion already, <laughs> sorry for another uh, short episode, but um, yeah, to conclude the discussion, we see that Emperor Giorgio moves in her character arc from season one to season three of Discovery as an openly imperialist, fascist, and post-feminist character that uses violence and sexuality to become empowered to a character that rather acknowledges differences that does not use her sexuality, but rather her status as a mother to trans to persuade <laughs> to uh, gain her empowerment and to rule her empire, as well as a character whose sexuality is not emphasized, but whose status as a mother is emphasized. So it's a very uh, significant character arc, I think, and I think it really shows the current state of feminism. As you might have picked up from previous episodes, we are witnessing a transition phase in feminism where we can see a change from these post-feminist female action heroes, such as Laura Croft, to female action heroes that are desexualized and that show an acknowledgement of intersectionality in the construction of women's identities. Um, and I think that Emperor Giorgio and her character arc really embodies this shift. Um, when we see her shift in representation, we can also relate that to the bigger shift in feminism that we are witnessing at this stage in time. Right, so I hope that this episode wasn't too similar to the one, the first episode I did of this podcast. Um, if it was, luckily I did that episode like five months ago already, so it's a good recap. But anyway, I hope that you really enjoyed this episode. Sorry that I haven't posted anything on YouTube this week, except for last week's podcast episode. I'm a bit busy these days, but I will, um, yeah, and I know I've promised to do comic book reviews for maybe a month or two now. Um, I will get there eventually, so please bear with me, and um, I hope that you have a very wonderful week ahead, that you stay safe and stay healthy, and then the Sci-Fi Feminist will see you again next week with a discussion about witches. <laughs> I think it is time to look at some Maleficent, some Miss Peregrine, some of those uh, witchy characters. So next week I will talk about that. Until then, I hope that you have a good week ahead, live long and prosper. And then this is the Sci-Fi Feminist signing off for now. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Yeah, so we cut to night time. Harry sneaks out of the bed and starts looking up Voyager with his security codes, etc. Um, again, should be in underwear, but... Computer, show me Tom Paris. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> show me his location right now. Oh, he's 450 meters away. <laughs> hey. Oh my gosh. It was grinding. That's... He's like, I have to go to a hookup. Libby, I have to go to Bear. I have to... He found he found him on, on Space on Star Grindr. Trek Grinder. And he's like, it's Space Grinder. <laughs>
Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Beyond Farpoint, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. And Picard's the other character trying to solve the mystery. So he leaves for that reason alone. It could be, and it could really be any character. Any one of, of the main cast members could have gone with Data and been there with Data several days later trying to solve what happened to the Enterprise. It's it, it, it's very, very much a kind of a, a plot reason and nothing more, I think. Yeah, um, I kind of wish Data had stayed on the ship, actually, because I would like to have seen him regress to a pocket calculator. <laughs> Computer, deactivate Holosuite.